in our modern age, and I, and I would say even before this, like this is the early Disney movies, inspired and influenced this idea that marriage was all about you. That the husband and Prince Charming, the only thing that he was missing was like the final jewel on his crown, which is the wife, which is, turns the woman into this possessive thing that just makes your life better. Or vice versa, uh, the woman, well, all she needs is the man to come along and make her life better. And the problem with that is that I've said this in an earlier podcast, ultimately what that does is it make us makes us gods of our own kingdom. Yeah. If my wife is there to please me or if I'm there to please my wife, then when you know the chores aren't done in my particular fashion or in a t- in the time that I expect them, if the bills aren't paid the way I want them, if the kids aren't being treated or aren't treating me or acting the way I want them to, then all of a sudden my household is my kingdom mm-hmm. and I am my God. And what what I'm ultimately doing when I disagree with my spouse in those moments is I'm trying to conform her in the image of me, to serve me, to please me, to satisfy me. But yeah. a theology of love is this recognition that when you meet somebody, you fall in love with who God has created them to be. Yeah. You see what he's doing in their life, and you then want to be an instrument in his hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite books, my wife and I read a book a year on marriage. One of my favorite books puts it this way. Within this Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in this journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. Hmm. I got a glimpse of it on earth, but now I look at you. I've always loved uh, Guinness Book of World Records. That was one of like my go-to gifts because Costco always had those. And in fact, I used, to, I used to get you those all the yeah, time, I'm the right? Guy you got them for at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, but I, I love the Guinness Book of World Records. And you would think, you know, it's always these like serious things and records people break, but there are like some really, really silly things. I just watched one recently. It was uh, the biggest human domino maze or whatever thing they call them where it was people with standing up with a mattress behind them and they would fall and other people would fall it was amazing wow. have but, you been to the museum there's a museum in la no uh-uh. the guinness no museum. that's ripley's no, ripley's no. you're right oh, believe it or not uh, i actually I trained to try to go inside the guinness book of world record when i was pogo sticking in sixth grade i used to pogo stick all around my neighborhood i'd go i'd do it without my hands lock it between my legs just jump wow. for hours and hours and hours i'd do it my mom thought it was great because I wasn't messing with the wrong crowd. I was playing with the Pogo <laughs> Did stick. you get close, Mark? Oh, I, I never actually contacted them, but I could. I probably did it for eight plus hours on the Pogo it stick. It was a pretty wait, wait, eight plus hours in a day. Yeah, just straight eight hours on a Pogo stick. How tall are you? You would have set a record. Um, well, this was sixth grade. Yeah, so you end up six three. So. See it that was, uh, Ray, that, that was a secret. I know, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> you were you used to hang upside down from the monkey bars. Oh, yes, I said, that's, that was the problem. Hey guys, I got a question for you. This is off subject. We're talking about marriage. Hold on, real quick. Mark, yeah. was that an up and down journey for you? It really was. <laughs> yeah. Um, see how quick you are with your brain. Um, can you answer this question? How yes. Long? <laughs> that's, that's really good, Mark. Um, how long is a piece of string? Easy. As long as you cut it? No, easy. 
as long as you want it to be. No, that's subjective. There is an answer. I found an answer How to that silly question. A, that's stupid. It is a stupid <laughs> question. But here's a, here's a very intelligent, rational answer. Yeah. Twice the length from the center to the end. Ooh. Uh, isn't that a clever answer? I that like that. Question? And the oh, reason right. I brought it up is because some people ask a question that's not a legitimate question, like who made God? Yeah. That's a, it's, it's, it's created or framed to evoke a certain response, like who created God? Mm. And God is uncreated. So that's got nothing to do with today's podcast, but I thought it was interesting. Oh, I like that. Now, there's a reason why I brought up Guinness Book of World Records. It was all to culminate to this point, and that is this. I believe, Ray, you would win for the longest marriage of any people living in the Guinness Book of World Records. Because how long have you and Sue been married? 102 years. <laughs> 51 <laughs> years each. 51 years and each. And guys, that's why I should dominate this whole conversation. Oh, okay. We want to hear. sit at my feet because I'm <laughs> a very successful marriage, you whippersnappers. Wisdom. And right. Have yes. you heard that people sometimes don't actually celebrate their anniversary on their anniversary, maybe a day before, maybe a day after? What Laura and I did is we celebrated our 50-year anniversary a few years ago, mm. knowing we wouldn't have the energy 50 years from now. So how do you do that? <laughs> that's Where right, Mark. You posted that. You put, yeah. Didn't you put it on your Facebook page, like married 25 years? Uh, no, 50 years. I oh, think 50 years. 50 years. Because I won't have the energy 50 years from now. <laughs> People are like, celebrate. what? You're not even 50. Yeah, so. So you'll get what you speak. Ooh. The name it, claim it, guys. Yeah. Say. I'm not too worried about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I dispelled you that dis- years you ago. Mark has disproved the name it, claim it thing because I have heard him dozens of times scream out, we're going to die when we're on a plane. <laughs> Since we get turbulence. And it's never happened yet. I was on a plane, and your son was sitting behind me, and we had such bad turbulence. I yelled out, let's do this, because I thought we were going down. And Daniel's response was this. It was at that moment. It was at that moment, Mark. I realized you were actually a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> like you had your doubts, Daniel. That I'm a Christian. I still do. Uh, oh man. Well, you know, Manuel. Manuel. Oh yeah. Right? Is that man? Well, is that Manuel? I'm excited to talk about this topic because uh, I'm madly in love with my wife. I know that you gentlemen so are. You're as well. mad at your wife? No. Yeah, madly. I'm madly in love with in your love wife, with my too. Wife. Yeah, your daughter. My daughter, I love her. I always have to remind people of that. But let's go around, guys, because I think those listening may be encouraged to hear how long we've all been married here. So, Ray, you're 51. Uh, Mark? I'm 22 years married. My wife says it's been six of the best years of her life. (laughs) Four. Uh, I'm the young buck, so I've been married 10 years. 10 years. And uh, 25. We hit our 25 April, April I'm 6th. I'm less than half 26. of each of you guys' wedding. Wow. Marriages. You but together, I mean, if we if we multiplied each of our marriages by two and then added them all up, wow. We have like 200 years of wisdom sitting right here. <laughs> Take 300 years. Yeah, so guys, marriage uh, is in big trouble more than ever. It's It's been in trouble in America for a long time. Probably, wouldn't you say, Ray, the 60s? Oh, yes. So much. Well, I mean, what was it with the 60s? It's a liberal, the, the liberty of the sexual revolution. It's just so typical of man to mess up what law does. Law gives liberty, lawlessness gives bondage. Mm. And so you, it, it, we have law right throughout all our, our, our sports, 
with a football game, if you have a good lawful game, you have a free game. There's no, no stopping and no penalties given. If you have an unlawful game, they forsake the law. It's an absolute chaos. And what, what's happened through the sexual revolution in the 60s is they forsake every, forsook every moral law there is. Be mm. faithful to your partner. Don't have sex before marriage. Think of they having finding liberty. And all they got was bondage and destroyed marriages and brought guilt and suicides. Yeah. And it's just, just crazy. There's also a unique movement that happened right there in the 60s as well, which is called the Vagabond Movement. And during the Vagabond Movement, men were encouraged, inspired to do things like go out and buy a motorcycle and take long road trips and start to act goofy and immature and irresponsible and pursue women. And so you had a huge movement of men who no longer valued uh what it meant to be a man in the home with your wife and children. And Mm. now for them, they valued being a man outside the home, independently away from their wives and their children. And that was a a major issue. Combine that with women's liberation coming from the other direction. Right. You've got an absolute mess. Yeah, so much has changed. On on a recent podcast, Ray, you mentioned, I think, was it Susanna Wesley that read the Bible eight times by the time she was 12 or something like that? Yeah, 19 children. Yeah, and, 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 but you think about that, right? That's so far off. We read about boys learning Greek and Hebrew at like eight back in the day. So there's been a dumbing down of, of society responsibility. And then you start seeing a breakdown of the family. So now there's no example of, of a husband and a wife living together in unity and love and, and leading their family. So it starts to, to break down. Mark, God's word has given us the foundation upon which we should build our marriages. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, where it talks about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, wives submitting to their own husbands, that love and that respect that's there. And especially in the area of elevating women in light of even the culture back then, in terms of a woman looked at as someone who is a co-heir, scripture talks about that as well, with her husband and the husband loving her with the love of Christ. Speak to that. Talk about what Christ did. So we, we are commanded to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. How did he do that and how does he do that? Mm. He loves the church unconditionally and sacrificially. Unconditionally means there's no strings attached. I'm going yeah. to love you even if you don't love me in return. And sacrificially, even if it hurts, even if it causes me harm. I'm going to love you regardless of how you respond and react to the love that I give to you. Yeah. Um, I remember Kirk telling us uh, a while ago when he was traveling, talking about uh, Fireproof, which he was in with the Kendrick brothers. Yeah. And he said he had a guy come up to him and say, you know what? My wife has changed since I married her. She's nothing like the way she is. She has gone downhill. She is not respecting me. She is not submitting to me. It, quite frankly, I can't even look at her. To which Kirk responded with, she got like this on your watch. She is a mirrored reflection of you. Hmm. And so what you're looking at is a reflection of you and your relationship with Christ. Hmm. You need to repent. Really, and that's the best thing we can do for our spouse is for you to go after the Lord, you to submit to Christ, you to serve God. And as you do that, you're going to find an outflow being the overflow of your heart and your mind and your emotions, mm-hmm. loving your spouse who you find to be unlovable, or you have the inability to treat her the way Christ is commanding you to treat. Well, listen, first draw near to God. God will draw near to you. Where your heart is, what's the text? Uh, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Right. And so you you put, you pour, you commit, you submit. Everything's going to fall into place. It's not 50-50. It's 100%. 
And then whatever they do, it's irrelevant. It's mm-hmm. regardless. You are committed 100%, and therefore, you will be blessed and your spouse will be as well. Wow, that's, that's good. good. Hey, listener, have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has a hundred dollars. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. Yeah, I often try to remind couples that their marriage shouldn't be likened to a competitive race where you have two people racing against each other. They should look at it as more of a relay race where you are both going to win or lose together. And imagine you're in a relay race and you have been tasked with the responsibility of outfitting your partner and they have to outfit you. You can't pick your own clothes. You can't pick your own uh, gear, whatever. They outfit you, you outfit them. Now, if you're in a competitive race, I'm going to give you some boots. I'm going to give you a trench coat. Some bricks. I'm going to, yeah, some bricks in the pockets of that trench coat. I'm going to give you one of those five gallon bottles of water to carry. But if we're in a relay race and we win or lose together, I'm going to get you the, the best pair of shoes, the, the nicest socks that are designed for, for running. I'm going to get you the lightest shorts, the lightest shirt. I'm going to get you those gels and the, and the water things that are light on your side because we win or lose together. I had a good friend of mine who listened to that and he said, man, I, I think about it like a three-legged race. Oh, I've just written three-legged <laughs> Did you really? race. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> it's like a three-legged. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's a cool way to look at it. You win or lose together. Yeah. And saying that, we create the kind of atmosphere that's going to help our spouse to... to be able to fulfill their calling and their role, which is their responsibility. It's independent of us, but it creates an atmosphere where it makes it more conducive for them to freely and joyfully fulfill their role. That's good. Again, this is anecdotal, but um, I've I found the, one of the greatest keys to having a successful marriage, which Sue and I have, is that I absolutely delight to do her will. Mm. I absolutely delight. If I hear her outside banging with a hammer and yelling out, I can't do this. You, I just run so fast out there to help her. And not only is she pleased with me, but it helps my masculine image. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think this is what I'm made for. Give me the hammer. <laughs> wham, wham, wham. But it's been a real key. And um, I, I love the whole thought that man, a woman came from man's rib um, under his arm and close to his heart. Mm. That's really what, what we are there for as a husband to take care of and love and esteem our wife. And I think, I don't know if we could play this or not, but... I just cannot ever forget that woman with a nail through her forehead on that video on YouTube. Remember that one? Where, oh, yeah. Where, 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 oh. She, she, <laughs> it's yes, one minute long. I can play it now. If yeah. you like, just the, it works with audio, but it's such a key to marriage. You ever seen that? No, I haven't. I'm, oh, I'm going to play it, it and, um, and just see if it, it works. Um, where is it? Here it is here. No, it's not. 
<laughs> okay. No, it's not going to play on my iPad. But let me describe it to you. Um, you can edit this out. Thanks, guys. We will. Uh, it's a woman saying, I've just got such a terrible pain in my head. It's just driving me crazy. And the husband looks at her and he says, it's that nail that's in your forehead. And you see the woman, she turns around, she's got about a five-inch nail sticking out of her forehead. And he says, it's actually, I think it's the nail in your forehead. She says, you're not even listening to me. Listen to me. That's your problem. He says, okay, but there's a nail in your forehead. She says, you just don't understand. You always want to provide solutions. And it's so brilliant because that's our psyche as a man. Sue will come to me and say, I've got this problem. I don't want to listen to her. I want to give her the solution right now. We can mm. fix this. And it's because we're made differently. When That's I get good. a problem, I go into my cave. Don't even talk to me. I yeah. just weighed down with this problem. I want to think it out. I want to think of a solution. I want to be alone. But a woman is a different creature. Mm. She wants to talk about it, and that's her release. And that's wow. what men have got to learn, to bite your tongue, don't give a quick solution, but be empathetic with mm. your wife. Right. Understand that she's different, and a burden shared for her is a burden halved. Yeah. Something that's stuck with me uh, in moments of conflict, in disagreement, where you know you guys aren't on the same page, is the, the, the constant remembering that I'm a sinner. And what I mean by that is, if I go into a disagreement with my wife, and my assumption is that I'm right and she's wrong, then I'm going to see the sin in her. I'm going to think, well, I'm, I'm clearly coming from the position of holiness and correctness, and she's clearly needs to be reformed and changed. Yeah. But if I enter into a conversation with my wife, and I realize in that moment that we're seeing things from a different perspective, that we don't agree on a particular subject, then before I try, I'm using air quotes, taking her blinders off, I need to look at myself and wonder, where's the sin in my life? Right. Where, what am I not seeing in this moment? Where is it that I am falling short? Because then that allows you to humbly approach that conversation yeah. uh, in such a way that you're not assuming you're the problem here, not me. Yeah, and it's also realizing, I think one of the biggest keys that's helped me in my marriage and I think is helpful to any marriage, that's an illustration I heard years ago, it's really the realization that our spouse is not responsible for our sin, despite what they do. Yeah. Mark 7 talks about how the things that come out of the heart, those are what defile a man. And it lists all these different things that are sinful. And it says these come from within, from the yeah. heart of man and defile a man. And I think a lot of times we think our spouse has caused our sin. So we think we're justified and then we, we yeah. commit that sin. It was, it's an illustration of two water bottles. Oh, we have a couple sitting here in front of us. Two water bottles. You look at them and they Native both three. look. Thank you, Ray. <laughs> they both uh, Ray <laughs> threw the bottle across the table, knocked stuff over, which is like Ray. Uh, but two bottles of water. You look at them both. You say, What's, what do you see here? Two bottles of water. Uh, okay, what's in them? Water. What kind of water? I don't know. Clear drinking water. I take one and I shake it and I say, what do you see? And you say, what I saw before, clear drinking water. I take the other one and I shake it. And now you you do a double take and I say, what do you see? And you say, oh, brown, murky, dirty, cloudy, muddy water. Now, when I showed them both to you, they looked identical. When I shook both of them, I didn't add or take anything away from either of them. All the shaking did was reveal what was already inside them. This one, it had water, and so when I shook it, it, that's all it showed. The other one had dirt in it, but it was settled. You couldn't see it. But when it was shaken, it revealed Mm -hmm. what was already in there. And the point of that is no one puts sin in you. They only reveal what's already in your heart. Get it out. And the reason why I love this is because it's a stop gate. 
that when my wife and I are having a disagreement and I begin to, to feel sinful things rise up in my heart, when I stop and say, that has nothing to do with her. Sure, she may be sinning. Hypothetically, Rachel has never sinned. But hypothetically, um, you know, she may be sinning, but that doesn't excuse my sin. And the heart is the, it's the sin factory and it's the sin warehouse. So sin is producing there. And sometimes it's, after it's produced, it goes on a shelf. You don't even know it's there. But then when you're shaken up, God loves us so much. He brings wives in our lives yeah. and husbands and wives' lives to be divine shakers so that we can see our sin, so we can take it to the Lord, he can sift it out, and we can repent. So what do you do? You see the mud coming up as you're getting shaken. Instead of letting it out, you stop. You react in a way that's true and righteous, that's pleasing to the Lord. Then you take your sinful heart to God and ask him to sift the sin. Shaken, not stirred. Easy, I was wondering if you could, uh, Oscar wants to say something, but if you would tell that illustration again about the, the faucet, and not you don't have the right to touch oh, yeah. the faucet. All right, go ahead, Oscar. Do you want to say something first? Well, I just want to touch on that because it's it's a, a, a important to understand really our theology of marriage and what it means to quote unquote fall in love. Because I think in our modern age, and I and I would say even before this, like this is the early Disney movies, uh, it inspired and influenced this idea that marriage was all about you, that mm-hmm. the husband and Prince Charming. The only thing that he was missing was like the final jewel on his crown, which is the wife, which is, turns the woman into this possessive thing that just makes your life better. Or vice versa, uh, the woman, well, all she needs is the man to come along and make her life better. And the problem with that is that I've said this in an earlier podcast Ultimately, what that does is it make us makes us gods of our own kingdom. Yeah. If my wife is there to please me, or if I'm there to please my wife, then when you know the chores aren't done in my particular fashion, or in a t- in the time that I expect them, if the bills aren't paid the way I want them, if the kids aren't being treated or aren't treating me or acting the way I want them to, then all of a sudden my household is my kingdom, mm-hmm. and I am my god. And what. What I'm ultimately doing when I disagree with my spouse in those moments is I'm trying to conform her in the image of me, to serve me, to please me, to satisfy me. But a theology of love is this recognition that when you meet somebody, you fall in love with who God has created them to be. You see what he's doing in their life and you then want to be an instrument in his hands. Uh, one of my favorite books, my wife and I read a book a year on marriage. One of my favorite books puts it this way. Within this Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in this journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. Hmm. I got a glimpse of it on earth, but now I look at you. Wow. That's so good. (laughs) That's really good. Yeah. And I love that, Oscar. You know, one of the things I try to tell couples in, in marriage counseling or when I'm teaching on marriage is to remember what our focus in life should be, right? And when Jesus was asked in Mark 12, 28 through 31, what's the greatest commandment? He said, basically, if you boil it down, right, love God, love people. Mm -hmm. And that should be the focus of our lives and everything that we do. What we often do, though, is because we have legitimate needs as people and we fill various stations and, and roles in life, is we look to those things 
as sources of supply for our need. And we get into those and that becomes our focus. I, I need this and I need that companionship and pleasure and, and significance and whatever. You, you, could, you could name it. But our focus should be in life. God is a source of supply for my need. Not these various roles I fill. Not these people who are in my life, my children, my friends, my wife, my husband. God is a source. And all of these different roles and areas and people in life, they are mediums, conduits through which I have the opportunity to fulfill the greatest commandment by loving God and all he's called me to be in that role because love for God is connected with obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. And, mm. and it's glad obedience, as First John says, and this is love that we keep his commandments and his commandments aren't burdensome. And we love people through sacrificial service, right? No greater love is any man than this and to lay down his life for his friends. First John 3, 18, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So we get into marriage and we're looking at it as a source of supply. My wife is a source of my pleasure. She's a, she's a source of my significance, my source of companionship. Wives are doing the same thing. My husband's source of security, source of leadership, source of, you know, whatever. Our view should be my spouse is a medium through which I have the opportunity to fulfill the greatest commandment. I'm going to love her, love him by being all God has called me to be in that role. And I'm going to love God through obedience, love them through sacrificial service. God's a source of supply. Now, from God's perspective, he's a source of supply. And our spouse or, or these other areas of life, they're mediums through which he'll supply our needs, but he's the source. Mm. And when that's our focus, then when we're we're having you know things going on in our marriage, we're not saying, she's not meeting my needs. Mm-hmm. This isn't happening. Of course, there's a place to talk about things, especially if our spouse is being sinful. But if our focus is truly love, then even our mode of co- correction is going to be in keeping with the attributes of love. We're going to be patient. We're going to be kind. Why? Because we're not seeking our own. We're thinking about if they're sinning, they're, they're dishonoring God, they're harming themselves, mm-hmm. and they're, they're harming others because they're not a true light for the gospel. So I love you. You're sinning. I'm going to correct you in keeping with the attributes of love. I'm patient. I'm kind in my correction. I'm not taking into account wrongs suffered and, and so on. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Certainly does. Let me ask you guys a question. What because I want to be real, and for and I think this might be helpful for those who are in seasons of drought in their marriage. What does it look like for you guys, looking back at your years of marriage, to go through a season of, of drought, of dryness in your marriage? Like how what's that like? And what do you do to get through that and onto the other side? Well, for me, it's exactly what I had shared earlier. It's it's a matter of realizing the purpose of marriage, right? So my my wife will complete my relationship with Christ and vice versa. I want to continually have that mindset. It's not what I can get out, but it's what I can put in. And if I give her Christ, she's going to be better off and she's going to be able to be a blessing to me in return. I mean, that's just a natural outcome of it. So when I go through drought, if you would, the problem is me. If I define drought now as well, not that there's any sin involved. It's just just dry. Mm-hmm. Well, we walk by faith. Marriage is often like my relationship with Christ. I walk by faith. I don't walk by sight. I do what I need to do. A nursing mother who is exhaustedly tired will still get up in the middle of the night to feed her mm-hmm. child because it's the right thing to do. You know, you, we may feel like we want to do one thing, and it could even be a sinful behavior, but I don't do it because it's just not right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's wrong. I need to do that which is right and as I do that, as I store my treasures in the right place, my heart is going to follow um, those actions of where I need to be. I think it's a good thing to continually ask good questions. Mm-hmm. 
uh, to your spouse? Do I do anything that bothers you? Am I, yes. am I not fulfilling <laughs> anything that you feel like I should be fulfilling you know, at this moment? Ask those honest uh, questions, and I think that we should be ready for those honest answers and be ready for the change. Breathing. So asking questions continually. I'll say she says breathing. <laughs> <laughs> then there's a bigger picture. You need some ACBC counseling. Yeah. You know, I, I find um, communication is such an important thing. What do you mean? In a marriage. Yeah, I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't understand. The guy that, that uh, married Sue and I, the pastor, uh, counseled us before our marriage, and I remember him saying, communicate in marriage, talk, talk, talk. Mm. And one of my great joys is just to talk with Sue about everything and anything. Um, and to, as a man, discipline myself to listen to her because if I'm watching the news on television, it's so important to me, but I'm so thrilled now with modern technology, I can stop the whole world on that TV. Mm. And I can mute it and I can turn and say, what's that, love? And listen to her. And I think our example is John Jack before, where Jesus didn't just say to the woman, well, hey, you're an adulterer, you've got five husbands, better repent. No, no he listened to her. He, he let her pour her heart out. This is what women love to do. Yeah. Yeah, Oscar, I, I would say intentionality. You know, in the seasons where we, we've had dryness, it's busyness. And then you just mm-hmm. kind of get into the, into the rut of life. You're just kind of, you know, functioning and you're like ships in the night. But time spent together and being intentional about that, guarding your date night, and then also having a spiritual dynamic to your marriage. Guarding your date night, you better stop there and tell us what you're talking guarding, about. Guarding a specific night when you and your wife go out and mm-hmm. you, you go to dinner or you know you, you, you go and do I something I had to do that fun. today because you try to invite you yourself into my date night tonight. I said, you're not invited via text. Is that nice and kind? <laughs> Uh, but you know where you where you are intentional in that and, and that spiritual dynamic. You're spending time in the Word. Mm-hmm. You're praying together. You're fellowshipping in Christ. It's funny how the things that we say is so are so important to do as believers. We don't do with the the person who is closest to us, our spouse. Remember, your wife is also your sister <laughs> in Christ, and so to have that fellowship, that encouragement, that that intentional time of, of of being together, that is going to keep your marriage uh, vibrant and yeah. alive. Years That's ago, good. a woman showed up at her doorway. She was the um, wife of our senior pastor. She was in tears. She says, my husband's not talking with me. Wow. And so very gently over the next few days, I encouraged him to get his wife some flowers. And his response was, she's got plenty in the garden. Oh. And I thought, because God didn't create flowers for the garden only mm. or for the bees, yeah. they're for women. Right. You know, what a, what a wonderful way for me to express my love for yeah. my wife mm. with, some, with some roses. It mm. just says what I can't yeah. put in words. And, and think, knowing, you know, knowing your wife and how, yeah. how she functions, wives knowing your husband, studying each other. Everyone's different, right? Some women love flowers. Others don't. Some women love chocolate. Others don't. Uh, chocolate flowers is a really good way to go. Oh, the best of both worlds mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Oh, there is a company. What's called uh, Edible Edibles. Arrangements. Yeah. <laughs> they make these things that are in the shapes of flowers, but you, you can eat, eat them. them. Yeah. I'd like to invent plates where you do that, oh. where you actually eat the plate. <laughs> well, it can be edible. done, seriously. You can, yeah, everything's edible. Like we know you're edible. But seriously, you could make flour plates like tortillas, those hard tortillas. Just pump them out as plates and put, serve your food and eat your plate. Oh, yeah. I, like uh, I didn't get into it. Yeah. Wait, real quick though, Ray, a little pause here. You are talking earlier about, you know, Sue and, and empathy and all this stuff, which reminded me of something. You wrote a book called 101 Things Husbands Do to Annoy Their Wives. 
And don't you get, doesn't, hasn't Sue gotten sympathy cards from She's other women? two sympathy cards from, and that was from a, that wasn't from that one. That was from the uh, 101 of the dumbest things people have done. And that book stars me and all the dumb things yeah. I've done. That's but, the but one. She got the sympathy she's cards. She's got sympathy cards. How did you totally down to 101? But that one, 101 <laughs> things, uh, annoying things that husbands do to annoy their wives, uh, number 101 is saying exactly what you said. It's more than <laughs> um, but 101 things husbands, husbands do, do that annoy their annoy wives, their it's wives. called. You Sue, can find yeah. it, by the way, at livingwaters.com. That's right. Sue helped me write it in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> she had the list. She's like, oh, here you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but friends, that is a, that's a good book. Uh, but it's got can, the gospel in it. It's a soul yeah. you can give to a couple that aren't Christians and say you're going to enjoy this because they're based on all the things that men do. We, we snort and we do, you know, the just crazy things that yeah. they do, and they're funny, and uh, but it's got the gospel in it. Yeah, and if if you're believers, it's it, it'll give you good laughs. Uh, it's something to read with your wife. Uh, I just want to say, in regards to those drought seasons, there is a. Uh, the, I, I love the way Paul Tripp puts this uh, in his book on marriage, um, which is called "What Did You Expect?" It's a fantastic redeeming book. the realities of marriage is a subtitle. I it's I think so the best good. book written on marriage. Absolutely um, phenomenal. He, he talks about how all of these small, minor, seemingly unimportant disagreements, if they go left um, unattended to, mm. that it's like having all of these small little cracks starts to develop in your foundation. Yeah. Rather, if you're afraid of, of having conversations because you don't want to stir the pot or whatever the case, uh, these small cracks start to develop. And over, over time, it becomes, you know, resentment starts to build up and the cracks get larger and the foundation begins to break and fall apart. So his encouragement to stay out of those droughts or even within those droughts is to have conversations, to communicate, to talk so that you can fill the gaps up before they become, you know, big, uh, big holes. But yeah. I'm thinking about also that couple, maybe one of them's listening to this podcast right now and they're like, man, it's been... It's been twenty year, you know, twelve years since it's been good, and the cracks are wide. And when you talk about a drought, that's like my entire year. We get mm-hmm. two or three days of good days, and yeah. and you just you feel overwhelmed, and you're not, you don't know where to start. Um, and I would say to you this: that the promise of God is that when you make that covenant with your spouse on your wedding day, it's actually a co-covenant. God transcendently uh, meets you there through the power of the Holy Spirit and makes a commitment with you to your marriage. Yeah. And he allows that his grace is new every single morning. And for Amen. each couple out there who are experiencing years of drought and just feel like there's no turning around and you're in a rut, uh, my encouragement to you is to look to the cross because the work that Jesus has done for our sins is both the sins that we commit against him first and foremost, but in addition to that, the sins that we commit against one another. And right. he offers grace through that. It's like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, it is now not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on the marriage that sustains your love. There's a covenant there that God yeah. is has offered you when you said yes. Mm-hmm. That's good, Oscar. One thing I forgot to mention, Nancy, Mark, and Oscar, is um, Sue and I pray together. We read the word together. Yeah. And uh, I've spoken to guys that oh, I just couldn't do that in front of my wife. I'd be embarrassed. We'll do it with a light out. <laughs> <laughs> just say, be a man. Be the, the priest of your household. So yeah. we're going to pray and we're going to thank God for our health, for our children, for our salvation. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Before you know it, you'll be away. And just make that a habit. 
every day. Pray with your wife yeah. and read the word together. Yeah. Richard Baxter concerning prayer and marriage, I was going to say this quote. He said, join together in, in frequent and fervent prayer. Prayer forces the mind into sobriety and it moves the heart with the presence and the majesty of God. Pray also for each other when you're in secret that God may do that work which you most desire upon each other's hearts. You know, there, there's not a greater humbling act than praying because prayer in the midst of a relationship is recognizing and realizing that you're in need of all things inside that marriage. I can't, you can, here I am. I can't, you can, here I am. I can't, you can. Lord, help me, help me, help me. You know, you think of Peter's prayer. It wasn't, he didn't pontificate on these three paragraphs or uh, or pages of notes when he began to sink in the water. He just said, God, help. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that could be the prayer that is needed in the midst of a marriage. Help, help, mm. Lord, help. Yeah. And then trust that God is going to respond. Open up and read some very good books. Yeah. You know, we, we had mentioned uh, that book earlier. There's uh, Ken Sandy. He, he's written a number of great books uh, on the subject. And in fact, I'll tell you, Peacemaking for Families is a really great book by uh, Ken Sandy. And also uh, The Complete Husband. Yeah. It's another amazing book. If you're having troubles in the sexual realm, uh, Intended for Pleasure is an amazing book that you yeah. can read. Remember, God's design was marriage. It's his idea. So we put the Otis back on him in right. order to uh, bring beauty for ashes. If we yeah. Like we've the, exact, the Exemplary Husband is another yes. good one for husbands. Um, and uh, The Excellent Wife. Yeah. Also, uh, you know, one of the things Rachel and I love doing is reading marriage books together. Uh, we mentioned uh, what did you expect redeeming the realities of marriage. Also, another one that's phenomenal is called When Sinners Say I Do. Yes, and then, and that's Dave Harvey. He wrote a follow-up one, yep. which Rachel and I are reading now. I think and I'm reading it right now it. as well. Yeah. yeah, it's called I Still Do. Yes. And it's for couples that have been married a long time. Yeah. So friends, we know you're all in different places. Oscar, I'm so glad that you spoke to those that are in struggling marriages because I know some of you listening to this right now, you're feeling an ache in your soul because your marriage is extremely difficult. And just, just as a small side note, anyone who's in an abusive marriage, mm. this is typically women, mm. sadly, um, you need to get to a place of safety. Thanks for saying this that. is very, very important. You need to get to a place of safety and to get help for yeah. your marriage. And I think that's probably one of the areas that contributes to a lot of marriages that have problems. It's that couples aren't willing to humble themselves early enough to get help. Mm. To say, look, we need we need some some guidance. We need some direction. We're we're at an impasse. And when you get that, when the body of Christ can be the body of Christ and bear one another's burdens, serve one another, it's huge. And so we just want to encourage you in that regard. There is hope. There is help. There are resources. Speak to your pastor. Talk yeah. to other believing friends and couples, and and get that help that you need. And uh, Mark, you talked about yes, that yeah. illustration. Can you do the faucet <laughs> illustration? Okay, yeah, yeah. So the point of of the the whole faucet illustration is that God has called us to walk in love. 1 Corinthians 13 is really the foundation for marriage, right? Husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to love their husbands. Uh, Titus talks about the older woman teaching the younger woman to love their husbands. So love is supposed to exist between husband and wife. And that love is spelled out for us in 1 Corinthians 13. Typically, when we start out a relationship, the, the attributes of 1 Corinthians 13 love is flowing, right? We're patient, we're kind, we're, we're not seeking our own, we're not behaving rudely. It's just flowing. And something happens, though, at some point where our, our companion rubs us the wrong way, whether it's in our engagement relationship or later in marriage. And 
something happens, right? Everything was great. We never said a hurtful word. We never, but then they did something to rub us the wrong way and something changes. So if we're to think of 1 Corinthians 13 type love, you, you would imagine it as though your companion or your husband, your wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, whatever, is like a crystal vase. They're pr- placed under a faucet and you turn the faucets on, you crank them full blast and each one of the little streamlets in that thick course of water represents one of the attributes of agape love patience, kindness, et cetera, right? And that's the way it should be. When we enter into a love relationship with someone, we should crank those knobs full blast until the full flow of the attributes of agape love are flowing into our companion, filling them up and overflowing constantly. And one of the key definitions of agape love is it never fails, Mm. right? It gives for the sake of giving, expecting nothing in return. It's unconditional. has nothing to do with what our spouse is doing or isn't doing. But what happens at some point, like I said, is they do something that rubs us the wrong way. And suddenly we feel justified to reach out our grubby little dirty, filthy fingers. You like that imagery? Grab those knobs and begin to crank them down a bit, which means what? We're now diminishing the attributes of agape love fully flowing into our companion. And guess what? When we do that, we have just sinned directly against the God who gave us that command to love unconditionally. And we've just done something totally, completely, 100% unjustified. We are totally unjustified if we ever so much as lay a fingernail mm. on those knobs. That's good. Because true love keeps flowing unconditionally. Because remember, we will often say, well, she did this. Well, he did that. And when I counsel couples and I teach them this principle, I ask them one question at the end. I hear what you said they did. My question to you is, did you touch those knobs. That's good. And then that convicting look so comes back. Good. Like, oh, yes, I, I did. And that's the whole, and you know, that ties in with the bottle illustration. We're not justified to sin no matter what they've done. And, and again, like I said, when we're living that way, our mode of correction, which should exist, we should be able to look at our spouse and say, you've sinned against me or you're doing this. And, but it, it will be in the mode of agape love, even as we correct. You know, one thing that we haven't touched on, you, you just alluded to it though, is the importance of community for our marriage. Uh, You mentioned the local church, and that is so important for us to be known and loved by a pastor in a local church will really edify our marriages. And when we're honest about our sins and then surrounding yourself with men who love you and and uh, and love your wife, or if you're you know if you're the wife, to surround yourself with women who love you and love your spouse. Because so often I will hear like a neighbor, even I've heard a I've heard a, a wife say stuff like this and a husband say stuff like this, where they they diminish or the demeanor their spouses. They'll mock them or make fun of them to other people, like yeah. oh, like they're the bane of their existence or like they're right. this ball and chain that they're carrying around and. Man, that you just shouldn't utter words like that with other people. And you should be surrounded by people who would call you out if you ever disrespected your spouse in that kind of a way. You know, I've, for me personally, I've got my, my best friends, also my pastor, Chris, and then there's two other guys who are, who are important and valuable to our church in my life, Danny and Brian. When we hang out together, just the guys, we're checking, on, checking in on each other. Yeah. And as much as I appreciate their friendships, there's a there's a unspoken commitment to each other that our marriages 
are more important than our friendship. Wow. If, if their spouse needs them, we're not hanging out. Mm. Or if they're in trouble, we're having a conversation. We'll call each other out on sin and we challenge each other because that's what God has given us gospel community for is that iron would sharpen iron. And you guys have been that for me. I am the young buck here 10 years in, but I can attest, you know, having worked here seven years, like I look at your guys' marriages and I and I respect them hmm. and I see something valuable in them. And so you become people of trust who I can bring things to and who I could sit under and listen to and, and wow. things of that nature. It's important to have people like that. Yeah. And, and Ray's as we Everyone start- Everyone Mark, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Mark, Mark. Uh, Ray, as we start to kind of wrap things up here, um, don't you think that a big part of the breakdown is the redefining of roles in marriages? The believers marching to the world's drumbeat when it comes to how marriages function, the egalitarian perspective versus a complementarian one, which is that, no, men and women are different. God has given us roles that, that don't negate our equality in terms of our essence and value and being made in the image of God, but God has given us different roles for order. Don't you think that's part of the breakdown? Yes, thank you. Well, seriously, easy. Can you, for maybe the listener who doesn't know, could you break down what you mean by egalitarian and complementarian? Yeah, well, the egalitarian perspective is that men and women uh, have basically equal roles. The perspective is no. Well, yeah, there's a part of the part of the curse that women are submit to their husbands, and husbands are in headship. But Christ fixed all that, and now now there's neither male nor female. And there's a twisting of Scripture there. But this is Ephesians 5. I mean, this is clear in Scripture all throughout, Titus and, and 1 Peter and, and, and Colossians and so on and so forth. We're told that husbands are called to have headship and leadership. Wives are to submit and follow the lead of their husbands. These are roles that God has given. Um, Ray, now yeah, Ray's going to speak to the trouble. subject. This will get me into big trouble. But I look to the lion. The lion just sits in the sun and snoozes while the woman go out and get the food and bring it back to him. And every now and then he just goes, <laughs> and they all cringe and just sit at his feet. And I think that's how it should be. Yeah. Uh, big, big caveat. Ray is joking, friends. <laughs> but, um, but Mark, since Ray won't speak to the subject, talk about that, that breakdown of, of the God-given roles. Well, in Genesis three fifteen, I believe that you're referring to the idea that the woman is going to be for the husband to try to take that leadership role. But in reality, the greatest picture is the picture of the church. Right. Christ is the head. Uh, the man follows the woman follows and submits. Now, we submit to one another out of the fear of the Lord. That's that's yeah. an absolute given. That's the, the verse way. just before wives submit to their husbands. That's, that's, that's absolutely right. We submit to one another out of fear of the Lord. The, the, God's way is just the right way. We, we must remember that. If I told my wife, Laura, that, hey, I feel like God's calling me to go to Boise, Idaho, and to start a church, she lays down 15 different reasons why that's not a great idea. She ultimately submits to me knowing that that is the biblical way to do it. I head off to Boise, Idaho, and I'm there for three months. I look over at her and I say, I made a mistake. God has now done a work inside of me. 
So it could very well be that God wanted me to go to Boise, Idaho in order to humble myself so that I can submit and listen to my wife a little bit better. But either way, God's going to bless her because she's following the complimentary way and the submissive way. She's submitting to me as on to the Lord. She compliments me, and I chose to reject that compliment, uh, that complimentary decision, and I'm just going out on my own. Either way, she wants it all. She wants me to do my own thing because I ultimately want to walk with God. I come back. I ask for apology. I eat crow's feet. And she looks at me and says, I love you, husband. And it's all working together for good. So now the whole idea is to follow after Christ. Remember, Ray said it in a a past episode, I don't honor my mom and my dad because they're Christians walking with God. If even if my mom was a prostitute, I'm still to honor her. You know, it doesn't say honor your mom and dad unless. In the same way, it doesn't say submit to your husband unless. We submit to the Lord. And so if we follow God's way and God's word, I'm telling you, it's just going to work out. Yeah. I, I can't say anything else Question about that. For so you, that's okay. what, what does gross Oh, I'm dealing like? with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dealing with that. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Thanks, Mark. Um, eating crow's feet, I've just looked it up and it's got a quote. It's not too hard if you just have it in butter with garlic and little lemon. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's like that. It tastes yeah. a little like chicken. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that I'm really glad you brought up complementarianism here because it is uh, incredibly important. And, and to clarify, complementarianism, what the scripture says is that both husband and wife are equal in value, worth, and capability. Uh, there's the, the man is not design, is not built differently to do things better, to hold greater capacity, et cetera, et cetera. We are equal being in God's image. However, because of his design, what God desires for marriage is that the man would be held responsible as a leader of the wife and of the family. Mm-hmm. And we ought to take on that role. And I love the way uh, Mark said it, that doesn't give us excuse to become domineering or excuse making one of the one of the most uh, daunting and scariest moments for me in my marriage that's happened a couple of times is where my wife and I maybe don't agree on a particular issue in our marriage and she will look at me and say okay I trust you as the leader with the final decision that always stops me in my tracks because yeah. I'm like oh mm, at right. the end of the day I'm not answering to my wife I'm answering to God and she's going okay you, if you say you're following Jesus in this, then I, then, then take, take yeah. the lead, make your choice. And often I'll come back and go, you know what? You were right. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, to me, there's nothing more beautiful and poetic than a man and a woman fulfilling their God-given roles. Because whenever we do what God has designed us to do, we're functioning as we ought to. Mm-hmm. And there's beauty in that. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be that understanding that when we speak about the husband being the head of his wife, we're talking about a servant leader. Yeah. Think about it. A man is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church, the greatest love this world has ever known. Yeah. No greater love has any man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And then he did it. He was willing to die for the church. So if that's the standard, husbands, isn't everything beneath that standard a given? Man, that's huge because we look at complementarian, often critics of complementarianism look at complementarianism through the context of what a leader is today, yeah. a self-serving megalomaniac. Exactly. And that's that, what leaders are today. And that's the furthest thing from, from what, what it's supposed to be. Exactly. We are serving our wives. We're willing to lay down our lives and to, to serve them in every way we can. But, but headship is, is, is biblical. I mean, in the world, 
we don't look and say, "Oh, you have a boss at work." No, 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 no. Everybody should be able to say, "This is what we're doing," and make the decisions. What? Yeah, Do we look yeah. to our kids and say, "No, no, your teacher shouldn't be in charge of the classroom. Um, you, you, you know, you need to be as in charge as your teacher." No, but would we question the value that we say, "No, no, you're you're unequal to your teacher because she's in charge. You're unequal to your boss because he's in charge." No, we need those things because of headship. You know, Ray. One of the biggest examples you've been to me uh, in is uh, humility, and you've talked about that a lot. Humbling ourselves with our wives yes. when we've when we've messed up. Yeah, um, when Sue and I have an argument, that's when I find pride comes. It's just a, it's such a subtle thing, pride, where the fur gets up on your back. Yeah, and you just disagree, and sometimes even after you have an argument, and all the fur goes down, you think, "What was that even about?" You know, it's yeah. just weird because we wrestle right against flesh and blood, etc. So uh, what I do is if Sue and I have an argument, I'm first to apologize, always. Mm. I'll just go up and say, I'm sorry. I'm not saying I'm sorry I was wrong. I'm saying I'm sorry this happened. Mm. And then we have a hug. And the second we have a hug, it's just like whew, all yeah. that anger just leaves. And it's been an absolute key. I've done it for all our marriage. I've said I'm sorry, I'm sorry a lot, but Sue knows that I'm doing it, I'm actually humbling myself. So when we're getting along good, which is most of the time, we talk about it. So if we have an argument, let's make a way for each other to humble ourselves That's and good, not, yeah. not resist it. And it really is a key. It's fighting to keep bitterness from taking root. Yes. yes. And it's so key. And, you know, years ago, I, I taught a marriage series at my class, at my church. I taught a marriage class. Uh, in fact, we may eventually make it available through Living Water. I was thinking, though, as you're speaking, we should. My... Uh, my son and his fiance are going through it right now. Yeah. I'm going through it right now. It's wow. so great. Well, it was an honor to teach him. But, you know, there's so much to research. We don't have time to get into this, but I came up with acronyms for husband and helpmate. And the husband one is humble, understanding, sensible, benevolent, affectionate, nurturing, and devout. Wow. Just explore those. Look at what Scripture has to say about those and say, I'm a husband, H-U-S-B-A-N-D, and those are the things I should be. And then for the wife, helpmate, helpful, Encouraging, loyal, prayerful, mindful, admirative, trusting, and enduring. And so I want to encourage you to, to, you know, rewind this, those of you that are listening, go back through those things, study scripture on that, and understand that marriage is beautiful. It's the first institution that, that was given by God, and it's really the mm-hmm. foundation for, for civilization. It's the nucleus, really, of, of, of our culture and our civilization, the family, and it begins with the husband and the wife. And so invest heart, time, and energy into this. Get Ray's book, 101 Things Husbands Do to Annoy Their Wives. I'm sure your wife can help you come up with at least 101,000 more things. And so that'd be a fun exercise. And you can get that at livingwaters.com. Make sure to email us, podcast at livingwaters.com, podcast at livingwaters.com. Give us your feedback on the podcast, any particular episodes. Uh, also, topics, ideas, things you'd like to hear us talk about. And uh, before you do that, if you haven't already, do us a favor and uh, rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. Uh, you could, if you wanted to, give us five stars. Totally Ooh. up to you. And leave us a review. We'd love to see that. That also helps the podcast get on trending topics so that uh, non-believers and other believers can hear it and be encouraged. Yeah, and also share it, share the podcast with others. There's usually a button there where it says share. Tell others about it. So if 
you know, you think this is valuable, they can be encouraged. If you do those things, Mark Spence has said that he will buy you an In-N-Out burger the next time you visit the ministry. With Oscar's money. Thank you for joining us, friends, for the Living Waters podcast. Lord willing, we'll see you here again next time. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.